Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. For today's podcast, we're going to be discussing an electric scooter company called Pure Electric and uh, their current crowdfunding raise that's taking place on Crowdcube. And to do that, we're very kindly joined by the CEO and founder of Pure Electric, Adam Norris. Adam, thank you much for being on the podcast today. Thank you. So we're going to be discussing the market and you know successes so far at Pure Electric, Adam. Before we get into that, would you be able to give us a, a brief introduction to yourself, please, as well as Pure Electric? No problem at all. Um, oh, my background. I built first Britain's biggest direct consumer pension company. I pitched two guys over 20 years ago now called Peter Hargreaves and Stephen Lansdowne with an idea of taking pensions were sold through financial advisors and I wanted to do it. Direct Line had launched, EasyJet had launched, and I wanted to be the first company to effectively sell pensions direct to consumers and not go through a financial advisor. They backed me, not with money, but effectively with a license to trade. After that, we, we IPO'd it, and I then decided to... I didn't enjoy being uh, the leader of a listed business and financial services. My children were very young, and my son Lando was loving motorsport, and I decided I'd made enough money then not to need to work again that I would spend some time with him and helping him pursue his dream. And the next 10 years, I ended up angel investing and helping Lando become a Formula One driver. I spent 350 weekends away and got him to Formula One. But my frustration was I was investing the money I'd made and didn't see people probably with the same ambition or care to capital that I had of my own money. So I decided to look for something which would not only help the planet, but be a way that I could get massive growth, but still protecting my capital. And that's when I, after a year of research, started Pure Electric. So that, that's a quite interesting point there that you've mentioned uh, about improving people's lives, Adam. You know, what, what was it that specifically took you towards electric scooters and, and Pure Electric, you know, out of all of the... yeah. Yeah, cleaner technologies out there. What was it in particular about electric scooters? Um, it had to be something, again, going back to my ethos of investment. So I, my background was all direct consumer marketing. So I wanted something which was good for the planet, which I could market. It had to be a proven technology, but in its infancy. So like the internet 20 years ago, or mobile phones 20, 30 years ago. So it was really specific that the, the I wasn't, happy to invest my time and my money into something like nuclear fusion that may or may not happen. I also didn't have billions where you need in certain sectors, billions to start, like if you're trying to build new nuclear reactors. So it was the scale of business where I could start small, I could test and learn, but had the global opportunity. Um, and I felt that across the globe, the biggest problem facing mankind is pollution and, and, and global warming and pollution is created by transport. The biggest part is transport, and a large part of that is urban transport. And so I was looking for problems, but also new proven technology solutions. And 
electric scooters was one of those things that was really in its infancy, but you could see that the growth rate was phenomenal. And I thought, right, I can apply my knowledge, wealth and capital into that to grow a business. Thank you. Adam, let's just, if, if possible, please, let's talk about Pure Electric's journey so far. When, when you started, what your first products were, uh, your penetration into the market, and what, what would you really say your, your main successes are so far? I think just answering this, maybe the main success actually is building an amazing team. And effectively what we've done is we've built not only an amazing team, but then they've built an amazing business, which is now very scalable and will drive a lot of profit. But but going back to the, the question, we started off, I'm one of those people that likes to risk as little as possible to try different hypotheses. So I started off, we bought some scooters from China and lo and behold, we sold out really quickly. So it proved to me there was a demand then and we bought half a shipping container, a shipping container from China worked well, but then there was sort of price pressure. Other people started doing it. So I went out myself to China and visited all the factories um, and actually realized I was going around there. There's different specifications. and I could get a specification that would make us the best in Britain. So I did that and our volumes went up to roughly sort of 25% of all UK scooters have been sold by us, that sort of level. Um, and that was we were the first scooter, really simple, but waterproofing and some bigger wheels, which make them safer. And by marketing those features, we did well. Um, but I realized on that journey that um, although I did an engineering degree, I wasn't as technically able as I probably should have been to understand and build our own scooter. So I took on the ex-head of research from Dyson. At all the same point, so he became my CTO to head up my engineering team and said, let's build our own scooter because what was on the market is not great. I also took on the ex-global CEO of Dyson to be my chairman. And I'd done lots of direct consumer work before, but I'd never effectively shifted box and designed a product, a physical product like that. So those are two really key hires. And for the last two years, we've been working on building, really understanding the customer and then building an amazing product, which we've just launched, that was really designed for customer needs, opposed to sort of just being how can we make the cheapest product out of China, which is what was really coming out at the time. I mean, what would be very interesting to hear, actually, Adam, is you know where you identified problems in the existing market and, and what you've done to you know, better your product. You, you mentioned there there was a new product yeah. released recently. It would be quite interesting to hear a little bit more about that. What, what we did is um, across – scooters aren't legal to ride in the UK, Um there's one thing I should point out on the roads. Um, people have bought them off us and ridden them on the roads and people use them on private land as well. But one of our things was early on was we wanted to go across Europe and we wanted to be a global business. So we spend a lot of time in France and Spain and France is our biggest market. When we started doing consumer surveys of what do people want, safety came out as a really important factor to get masses of people onto these and make them easier to ride, make them more comfortable and make them cool. So that effectively was the brief um, that I gave to the ex-head of research at Dyson and said, look, we want to build a product which is more convenient and safer and cooler than everything else on the market. And we've done things like lowering the center of gravity. So the way we stand is different to every other scooter on the market. Um, the handlebars are slightly wider. We've put on indicators. We've increased the brightness of the lights. There's a lot of features, but a really clever steering mechanism to make them less, how to say, less wobbly, or just make them really easy to ride. Um, 
So there's a lot of features we've added to the product that make it better than the others out there. So what does this market actually look like, Adam? You obviously mentioned there that you're, you're, you're looking, you know, into France as your biggest market. You said you've got 25% of the UK uh, previously. But what, I mean, what does, what are the key features of the electric scooter market at the moment? How much is it growing? In, I mean, the things that people you can see in the public domain is Segway is a listed company and Segway is actually the world's biggest, although they used to do their funny thing, they've now got, they sell electric scooters and manufacture them. They've just gone through a point as a company since they launched have sold 10 million scooters. And last year, the figure I believe is about three and a bit million scooters. So the market out there is growing really fast and the, the numbers are much bigger. They think that France is about 900,000 scooters were sold and the UK was only about 100,000. And there's a report just come out, which we've done roughly a third now of all scooters in the UK that are sold come through our business. Um, so the market's growing fast. We, in the last few weeks, have had inquiries from, of all places, Saudi Arabia, Canada, the US, Kenya, um, Australia. We're already in France, we're already in Spain. Uh, we're already speaking to people in Germany, the Nordics. Across the world, there is a problem that global warming is affecting everybody, but fundamentally human beings like to live in cities and urban environments. And the car's not the right device for the size of streets there are. And it's just there's too many cars, which means congestion is a problem and pollution is a problem. So you're talking about the scale of the market, how it's growing. It's just probably like the internet in the early days or mobile phones in the early days. It's just exploding. It's a new form of transport that wasn't available 10 years ago, and it's proving to be successful. So Adam, something just struck me, you know, in terms of the, the, the you know, of you know, your 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 customers, because of course they'll buy a scooter from you. But you know, sort of going past that event, you know, is there sort of a servicing offering that you have to these clients? Are you looking? Are you seeing repeat custom? You know, what does it look like once somebody bought a scooter? You know, what's the relationship with? pure electric going forwards what um so we when we designed our new scooter one of the things we were very aware of we want to try and build a scooter that needs the minimum amount of servicing so by upgrading the bearings increasing the quality of the paint finish using the right materials you extend the life of the product and, you, and therefore the idea is and we've got uh, a new type of tire which has got a very puncture resistant band in it so we're trying to design the product so it's maintenance free we see, and as a business, and talking to sort of um, people who are fascinated by business, so we see the circle, the, the effect of the cycle very much like mobile phones, that people will switch their mobile phone maybe every couple of years and upgrade. The same we're seeing from scooters. So we're just putting in place a leasing scheme so that at the end of two years, you just get a new, you get a new product. We'll take the odd one back, um, and then we've got facilities then to... Um, sell the secondhand scooters out into different markets but allowing those people probably in western markets to, to have the newest latest technology that's fascinating thank you so adam now let's move on to the crowdcube campaign mm -hmm. set out with an initial target of a million pounds very quickly exceeded that target um heading up to two million mm -hmm. uh, i believe there's seven or eight days left on the on the campaign so there's still time available for people to invest mm -hmm. but 
you know, looking at some of the revenue figures that that uh, I can see here on the CrowdCube page, you know, very, very commendable figures there. Um, so it suggests there's a lot of lot of cash flow. So what was the thinking behind taking on the CrowdCube crowdfunding campaign? Really, it was that um, this might sound odd. It's partly as much as anything as a marketing exercise. So since then, on the CrowdCube, we've had that. We've also had a lot of high net worth individuals come to us directly as well. Um, so this was part of a larger round of investment. Um, at the moment, we've taken on no institutions, just wealthy, successful, private individuals who most of them have run their own businesses before. But the idea was when we listed Harvey's Lansdowne, we found a lot of people who became investors helped us grow our business. And the idea was the same, that we wanted more ambassadors to our company. We want across Europe and actually we've got investors coming in from across the world to help understand new markets, to give us feedback. We've got partners. We're doing a we're in Curry's, we're in Fnac. We've got a lot of different large, good retailers that we're looking to go into soon. And we wanted people to be able to go in a mystery shop for us. We wanted to be able to share the message, be able to trial new products. So part of it was to get a community of people who had aligned interest with us. Um, and, and also that we'd had friends and family and people who'd asked me over the last four years where they could invest in the company. And this just seemed a really great way of doing it. So... It's not we're just doing that and we wouldn't have done that in isolation, but it's an interesting and good part of our fundraising that we're doing at the moment. People that are listening to this, Adam, and you know, potentially keen to invest, mm-hmm. you know, when, when looking at private companies in the early stages, you know, one of the big questions is always what the, what the funds will be spent on. And that's yeah. a question that I'll put to you. Funds that you raise through CrowdCube, what will they be deployed into? We are continuing to expand our business in France, Spain, and the UK. Probably most of our effort at the moment is going to France more than anywhere. It's the fastest growing market in Europe. And it takes money and time to build a brand. In the UK, we've got, um, as I was saying, the report that came out gave us roughly 33%. We were trying to do the same, and that takes time and money to build up brands. We're continuing to develop more products and we're already working on, we've just launched a new product, but you always work sort of a life cycle ahead. So we're working on what we're going to sell in 24 and 25. Everyone's just saying what you've got now is stunning, amazing, but we still want to, and we know other people will launch things. We are just want to keep ahead of the curve on it. So the most of the money is going on developing new products for a long way out and continuing to expand um, our business. Thank you. So... You know, on, on that same point, Adam, you know, when people are looking at Pure Electric and, and thinking, you know, what the future holds, you know, what's what's key to you and the management team in terms of milestones? I mean, what's something you could outline there in terms of what investors should be looking for from Pure Electric in the coming years? I think every investor wants, and this is where I think it's very different to most <clears throat> sort of venture capital venture capital backed businesses is so far to date it's been all my own money that's gone in and I've put in over half my wealth into it and people can google me and look and see I've made a lot of money I've put a lot of money into this business so the milestones clearly are looking after the capital and growing we want to grow the business as fast as we can but in a sensible way so I'm not committing and saying we're going to go all out and bust to take on 10 markets I'd love to take on 10 markets over the next five years 
but we'll do it in a considered way. We'll grow as fast as we can while being respectful to the capital and making sure that we're doing everything we can to make this a safe business. It's my main, where I've invested most of my personal wealth. So I need it to be here and I need to be around in the future, but also go aggressive. So I'd like to be, some of those, you know, we'd expect to be in the Nordics. I would hope by the middle to end of next year, we'll be in over a thousand retail outlets. A year ago, nine months ago, we were in 27. We're now in over 200. I would like to see that going over a thousand this time next year. But we will only do that if it's right for the business. And we'd go more if it's right for the business and less of it. It's all about doing what's right for the company, what's right for the shareholders, and not just growing at any cost or, or being caught up in any one. We've got to be in 10 countries. We are getting our scooter ready so we can launch without requests from the US. We're getting that ready. We um, There's some very minor tweaks to get it ready for Germany so we can launch into those countries. So I would hope to see that we're in those. But again, we'll only do that if we have a credible launch plan and everything's in line to make sure it's right. And we'll go at the speed that we can go out for our business. Thank you. So just as a note to listeners, there will be some links in the note to this podcast where you can check out the Pure Electric crowdfunding page on Crowdcube. There'll also be a link through to the Pure Electric website where you'll be able to have a look at those products so adam just as a, a a final message here to people that uh that, that are listening you know what, what are the sort of three key takeaways you know from looking at the market looking at the opportunity looking at what you have planned that the people listening to this and considering pure electric should should take away and consider i think the first one the sector is exploding at the moment i think i was talking to somebody really famous about the whole the solution is small zero emission vehicles for cities and that's across the whole globe it's not just in the uk or in europe every city is struggling at the moment so i think that this is a market which is growing massively and it's a bit like getting in at the beginning of the internet or the the beginning of mobile phones so that's why i'm back in the sector we've built an amazing team and i think really it's people used to talk about world-class teams i genuinely have an amazing team of people. My CFO, so my head of my finance, came from Dyson, one of the top people in Dyson. My head of research came from the head of Dyson. My own background, I've built Britain's biggest pensions company and helped my son get to Formula One, which again, is no mean feat. So we have got an amazing, and even going back to all through the secondary layer from, we've got the head of paint finishes came from Dyson, the head of lighting came from Dyson. We have a lot of great talent throughout the business. And the last bit, I guess, is me as an investor, it's very different to any other company or, or most companies out there. It's because I've invested a lot of my own wealth. It's not just me taking a pump with somebody else's money. This is, it's everything I've built. I'm putting on this, not everything, but a lot of what I've put is built on this. So therefore I'm being careful on how we do it, but also I'm ambitious and want to grow it to a massive business. Just one final point now, Adam, what would be the best way for people to get in touch with you if they're interested in investing? I think what we're doing is if people are going to be investing less than £50,000, um, they go in through the Crowdcube, um, which you said there's a link to on the um, podcast. If they're going over 50000 probably the easiest way would be to send me a message on LinkedIn. I'm very easily be accessible. So if you send me a message, um, then I will get back to people and answer questions. Fantastic. So, Adam, thank you very much.
We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember, all investment involves risk.